was a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. And when you follow 
the individuals' lives is quite interesting. It's like Dick Cheney, the man who managed to skip all wars when everyone else was getting called up because he had the right connections, who ends up in charge of a country and a country's military at one point. And just like Huxley used to salivate over the thought of catastrophes sticking wires into the brains of people, here's an article by Robert Cheney. It was on Yahoo News, in fact, this particular article, by Mark Thompson from Washington, Saturday, April the 19th. I'll read about this article, read from it, to show you what kind of things turn on Mr. Cheney and the military-industrial complex. Back with more after these messages. Pentagon bidding. 
PyMEMS program is aimed at developing tightly coupled machine insect interfaces by placing micro-mechanical systems inside the insects during the early stages of metamorphosis. Says, As a majority of the tissue development in insects occurs in the later stage of metamorphosis, the new tissue growth around the MEMS will tend to heal and form a reliable and stable tissue machine interface. Such bugs could carry one or more sensors, such as microphone or a gas sensor, to relay back information gathered from the target destination. So that's where your tax money is going. High-tech to please the machinations of the military-industrial complex and all the psychopaths at the top. You can't feed the world. You can't have a stable economy. You can't help those who deserve help. But you can create billions for this kind of research into creating monsters which one day will be set loose on the public. They can assassinate people, obviously, with such bugs. If they can guide in the mosquito or whatever they want, a particular target, and the person drops dead, well, who, who's going to do a post-mortem and worry about that? The big boss will just stand around and whistle in the wind, same way as they do with the aerial spraying. They don't have to answer you at all, and we will, we will think it's all just a matter of coincidence. But that's what your, your, your money's working on. And in some, some science fiction movies, they've shown you and I think there was one that Tom Cruise was in where they had a, a condition called pre-arrest where these creatures that were hooked up to electronic equipment could predict who was going to commit a crime or could possibly commit a crime and they come in and arrest you. And when they were sweeping through looking for their suspects, they released millions of little bugs and spiders. They went up stairways and under doorways and through rooms and so on and sent all the data back to their masters. That movie was put out years ago, and here they are telling you for the first time they're actually working on such things. The reason these writers for sci-fi came up with this kind of idea is because they're in on the know, and they give us predictive programming. And one day you'll be used to having armies of spiders coming flooding onto your door and checking through everything that you're doing, and it'll all be quite natural. Now, here's another article I'd like to talk about, because Huxley, Aldo Huxley, talked about how powerful groups of very wealthy men in combination could take over the entire planet with the scientific technology and very good communication used between them. And that's what they've done, basically. They've taken over your food supply, a few cartels, which probably are all one at the top, and through massive propaganda and massive lobbying of all governments, there was all on this GMO foods stuff. And yet, it's a completely different reality from all the propaganda. And this article here is from, I think it's called From Green Living. Yeah, Green Living. And it came from the Independent, the newspaper called The Independent. Green Living is the article. And it says here, an awful lot of stuff on here, exposed the great GM crop myth. A major new study shows that modified soya produces 10% less food 
in its conventional equivalent by Andrew Fox. Last week, the biggest study of this kind ever conducted, International Assessment of Agricultural Science and Technology for Development, concluded that GM was not the answer to the world hunger. Genetic modification actually cuts the productivity of crops, an authoritative new study shows, undermining repeated claims that a switch to the controversial technologies need to solve the growing world food crisis. A study carried out over the past three years at the University of Kansas in the U.S. Greenbelt has found that GM soya produces about 10% less food than its conventional equivalent, contradicting assertions by advocates of the technology that it increases the yields. Professor Barney Gordon of the University Department of Agronomy said he started the research reported in the journal Better Crops because many farmers who had changed over to GM crops had noticed that yields are not as high as expected, even under optimal conditions. He added, people were asking the question, how come I don't get as high a yield as I used to? He drew Monsanto GM soybean and also almost identical conventional variety in the same field. The modified crop reached only 70 bushels of grain per acre compared with 77 bushels for the non-GM one. The GM crop engineers to resist Monsanto's own weed killer, Roundup, recovered only when he added extra manganese, leading to suggestions that the modification hindered the crop's take-up of the essential element from the soil. Even with addition, brought the GM soya's yield to equal that of the conventional one rather than surprising it by surpassing it. This new study confirms earlier research at the University of Nebraska, which found that another Monsanto GM soya produced 6% less than its closest conventional relative and 11% less than the best non-GM soya available. The Nebraska study suggested that two factors are at work. First, it takes time to modify the plant, and while this is being done, better conventional ones are being developed. This is acknowledged even by the fervently pro-GM U.S. Department of Agriculture, which has admitted that the time lag could lead to a decrease in yields. But the fact that the GM crops did worse than their near-identical non-GM counterparts suggests the second factor is also at work, that the very process of modification depresses productivity. The new Kansas study both confirms this and suggests how it's happening. A similar situation seems to have happened with GM cotton in the U.S., where the total U.S. crop declined even as GM technology took over. Monsanto said yesterday, that it was surprised by the extent of the decline found by the Kansas study, but not by the fact that the yields had dropped. It said that the soya had not been engineered to increase yields, and it was now developing one that would. Well, that was part of the drumbeat before, wasn't it? It would surpass the old crops. Drake's doubt where the company will achieve this thing that requires more complex modification, and Lester Brown, president of the Earth Policy Institute in Washington, and who was one of the first to predict the current food crisis, said that the physiology of plants was now reaching the limits of the productivity that could be achieved. A former champion crop grower himself drew the comparison with human runners. Since Roger Bannister ran the first four-minute mile more than 50 years ago, best time has improved only modestly. Despite all the advancing in training, the one contemplates a three-minute mile. Last week, the biggest study of its kind ever conducted International Assessment of Agricultural Science and Technology for Development concluded that GM was not the answer to world hunger. 
Professor Bob Watson, Director of the Study and Chief Scientist, Department of Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, and asked if GM could solve world hunger, said, simple answer is now. So there you have it. That's all the hullabaloo and the secrecy to do with the GMO foods, and it really was done all in secrecy, with secret deals done with the Canadian government, from these companies to the government, and using the Canadian public as the guinea pigs for the stuff, they're now concluding that they produce less crops. So what was the purpose at all? What was the purpose? There's always one or two or three main purposes that you achieve. Don't do this for fun and not just for profit. There's also the fact that it alters human behavior. I'm sure of that. That makes us sicker. Back with more after the following messages. and just pointing out how we live in so many illusions, illusions which are broadcast into our minds through massive marketing and good propaganda, something that the big companies have lots of around, really, propaganda backed up with millions of dollars to push it across. Advertising can make you believe anything, and these characters also lobby your own governments to make sure that their product will be a winner. And there's nothing better than getting laws passed that people must use your product. That's what a good, sweet deal that is, isn't it? You create a product and get governments to pass laws that everyone must use your product. Now, I think we've got some callers on the line. That's not from the last show, is it? Travis from Texas. There's no callers. Okay, I thought not. Maybe from the previous show. Now, here's a, an article which is important to do with autism, something that has been skyrocketing over the last 25 years or so. And it's from, it's called The Age of Autism, The Amish Anomaly, by Dan, Dan Olmsted, United Press International. This is Lancaster, Pennsylvania, April 18th, part one of two. Here are the autistic Amish in Lancaster County, heart of Pennsylvania, Dutch country, is well over 100 with some sort or form of the disorder. I've come here to find them, but so far my mission has failed, and the very few I've identified raise some very interesting questions about some widely held views on autism. Mainstream scientific consensus says autism is a complex genetic disorder, one that has been around for millennia at roughly the same prevalence. That prevalence is now considered to be one in every 166 children born in the United States. That's amazing, isn't it? It's crept up to that. Applying that model to Lancaster County, where there ought to be 130 Amish men, women, and children here with autism spectrum disorder. Well, over 100 in rough terms. Typically, half would harbor milder variants such as Asperger's disorder or the catch-all pervasive development disorder not otherwise specified, PDD, NOS for short. So let's drop those from our calculation, even though mild is a relative term when it comes to autism. 
That means upwards of 50 Amish people of all ages should be living in Lancaster County with full syndrome autism. The classic autism first described in 1943 by child psychiatrist Leo Kanner at John Hopkins University. The full syndrome disorder is hard to miss, characterized by markedly abnormal or impaired development in social interaction and communication in a markedly restricted way. Uh, repertoire of activities and interests, according to Diagnostic Statistics Manual of Mental Disorders. Why bother looking for them amongst the Amish? Because you'd hold clues to the cause of autism. First half dozen articles in this ongoing series on the roots and the rise of autism examined the initial studies and early accounts of the disorder first identified by Kaner among 11 children, U.S. children, born uh, starting in 1931. Kaner wrote that his 1938 encounter with a child from Mississippi, identified as Donald T, made me aware of a behavior pattern not known to me or anyone else, therefore, or theretofore. Tanner literally wrote the book on child psychiatry published in 1934. If Kinner is correct, if autism was new and increasingly prevalent, something must have happened in the 30s to trigger those first autistic cases. Genetic disorders do not begin suddenly or increase dramatically in prevalence in a short period of time. That is why it's worth looking for autism in the Amish to test reasoning against reality, largely cut off for hundreds of years from American culture and scientific progress. The Amish might have had less exposure to some new factors triggering autism in the rest of the population. Surprising, but no one seems to have looked. Of course they won't look because they know what causes it. Of course the Amish world is insured by nature. Being a small subset of Amish is a challenge by definition. Many Amish, particularly old order, ride horse and buggies, issue electricity, do not attend public school, do not pose for pictures, and do not chat casually with the English, as they rarely call the non-Amish. Still, some Amish today interact with the world outside, many ways. Some drive, use phones, see doctors, and send out Christmas cards with family photos. They all still refer to themselves as plain, but the definition of that word varies quite a bit. So far from sources inside outside the Amish community, they've identified three Amish residents in Lancaster County who apparently have full syndrome autism, all of them children. A local woman told me there's one classroom with about 30 special needs Amish children in that classroom, there is one autistic Amish child. Another autistic Amish child does not go to school. The third is that woman's pre-school-age daughter. If there were more, she said, she would know it. What I learned about those children is the subject of the next column. Three-year-old Julia is napping when I arrive at the spare neat cheerful house on Moser School Road near the town of Leola in Lancaster County. She's the reason I've driven through the budding countryside on this perfect spring day, but I really do not need to meet her. In the last column I wrote about trying to find a list of famous people here in the heart of Pennsylvania. I know there should be dozens of them, but occurs in some prevalence in the rest of the United States. Back with more on this topic, you'll find something very interesting. Back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
plot coming through the matrix and going through the study on autism amongst the Amish community and they found three cases but here's the interesting part he talks to the the mother of one of the children and she says this unfortunate our autistic daughter was doing very well she's been diagnosed with very very severe autism adopted from China and so she would have had all her vaccines in China before we got her and then she has had most of her vaccines given to her in the United States before we got her so we're probably not the pure case you're looking for maybe not but it was stunning that Julia Inion first autistic Amish person I could find turned out to be adopted from another country no less it was also surprising that Stacey Jean launched unbidden into vaccines because the Amish have a religious exemption from vaccination and presumably would not have given it much thought she said a minority of Amish families do in fact vaccinate their children these days partly the urging of public health officials almost every Amish family I know has had somebody from the health department knock on our door and try to convince us to get vaccines for our children, she said. Younger Amish more and more are getting vaccines. It's a minority of children who vaccinate, and that's changing now. So it goes on about the other two with autism, and lo and behold, you'll find it's just the same kind of thing. Uh, they've either taken a vaccine, or they were, they were adopted children adopted into the community. That's the kind of proof you need to see to see that it's a vaccine. And it's not just the mercury in the vaccine. The plain facts are, go back into your history books, read articles put out by those who want to reduce the population and create a rather stupid, dull population to control during the big push towards global government. And you start to put two and two together. There's other things in those vaccines which attack centers of your brain and that's just the plain facts hard but true so go to the phone now and we've got Harley from Michigan on the line are you there Harley good evening Alan how are you this evening doing well good hey listen it was, it was interesting that you mentioned that because when you were talking about the vaccines and the Amish children I can guarantee you that if you did a, 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 a sperm count on the men in the Amish community I bet you they don't have a problem I bet you their sperm count has probably not haven't, haven't dropped if they I know yeah. if they haven't taken any of the vaccines like we have and it's funny that once you say that I think about the book I've been reading uh, actually I read uh, the book uh, by Bertland Russell, The uh, Science on the Impact of Society. And one of the things that he talked about was food and population and how to bring it down. And he talked about how the scare and how that we need to modify the human gene, if you will. And basically they were, he was just saying that we need to modify it to make him a, a more dumb servant uh, or serf or slave, as he would call it. And it's it's funny that we see this what what Aldous Huxley and what he talked about, how it's coming, it's just flourishing so much now. Um, where I work at, I work at a, a, metro, a hospital here in the metro area, and now they're pushing out that they want all people at the hospital to start taking flu shots. Okay? They want you to start taking flu shots. And I'm saying, I'm not, I told them, all right, I've already said it, I'm not taking a flu shot. And they're talking about my my job could be threatening. You know, I told them I can pack my bags. I know how to sow crop. <laughs> I know how to survive. Yeah. I don't I don't need to be in the system anymore. 
you know, mm-hmm. because I'm not going to just bow down because of what you want. Um, and I'm yeah. finding out that you're not going to save everybody. And this 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 thing is not true. for everybody you're to not. come. It's not going to wake up from it. So, you know, I just wanted to comment on that. And uh, also one other thing, real quick before I get out, and I'm going to let somebody get else get on. I got uh, a DVD documentary, uh, but with uh, it's about Aldous Huxley. It's called the. Uh, Oh, boy, I just slipped my mind. It's called The Doors, The uh, Windows of Perception. It's a DVD, a documentary he did. Uh, and now we have a couple of, I have an extra copy. Would you like for me to send you one? Sure, yeah. yeah okay. So well, now that, you know, the next time I'm floating around and I get to cross the, uh, go over to Canada or the, the city over there to Windsor, I'll just send it you know, that way. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. All sure. right, then. All right. Alan, have a good night, and I'll, I'll listen to your comments. Thanks for calling. Yeah, Huxley was quite the character. I mean, when, when he was dying and he had cancer of the tongue, his last wish was to be shot up with LSD and mescaline, and uh, he was given that wish. And so he went went out, going through various doors of perception or misperception, who who knows, we'll never know. He died a happy man. Now going to, on to Callum from Connecticut. Are you there, Callum? Yes, I am, Alan. How are you? Not so bad. Okay. Um, oh, that's interesting. You were talking about autism. I just saw a, a commercial on TV about uh, how one in one, 150 uh, kids born today will have it. And uh, I was asking my wife, <clears throat> actually, if that's like, was that something that people got, say, two, three hundred years ago? You know, she didn't know, but what do you think? For shots? Well, no, but autism. Itself. Autism used to be extremely rare, used to be one in 160,000. Really? And it's a different kind of autism. The child showed no uh, signs of progression along the milestones from its birth. The new type of autism kicks in generally within two weeks after its multiple shots around the age of two. And then it starts going backwards. At two years of age, it's already saying dada, mama, and so on and suddenly it, it goes quiet. And they know darn well at the top it's a reaction. A deliberate, it's an intentional reaction. They know what this does to, to the brain. And again, you have other characters um, who've written about targeting the brain with chemicals and even viral agents which can target specific parts of the brain to bring down the IQ level and make you more docile in general. And even frequencies and such, right? Yeah, there's many ways to do it, but chemical means, uh, and the, the warfare establishment industries are heavily in bed with the pharmaceutical industries. They work together on warfare designs, and they can bring any chemical compound straight on to, to a particular part of your brain and wipe out that part. And that's what they said at the talk, too. Uh, our guys like Arthur Kessler says we shall have to destroy that part of the brain that gives people their individual thinking. Um, in, in a new system, a new world, they won't need that. They won't need their individual identities because the state will be making all their decisions for them. Yeah. And then going back to uh, Sir Bertrand, Lord Bertrand Russell, he talked about the communists, knowing they were doing the same thing in Britain and America, but he said by the use of the needle, they could bring down the IQ and create a more obedient population. And it's like they could do that behind, happened. Uh, behind, like... The Iron Curtain and such, because it's like a rogue state, you know, like where there's, it's like against everything, or like the Nazis and stuff like that. Like it's like a rogue laboratory type thing where. 
It is. It's, it's a, yes, it's a closed society. It's a perfect test ground yeah, right. for statistics and study. Yeah. And it's like, like beyond legal. You know what I mean? Like maybe that's why they do that. That's right. You know. That's right. They can make anything legal. That's what I've done in, in the Western Hemisphere. They made it legal. Not only legal, but mandatory. You get all these, these shots for your children. And, um, and they come on very, very heavy if you refuse. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was wondering if I could just uh, read a little thing here that I have. It's from yeah. a book called uh, <clears throat> Towards Century 21. I don't know if you've uh, heard of it, but I found this in the trash like 10 years ago. And uh, I think it's done by the United Nations. But uh, interesting, I just looked in the uh, the list of authors, and it's one of the authors is Alan Watts, the, uh, uh -huh. the, the, the guy from back in the 70s they were talking about, the yeah. metaphysics and such. Um, anyways, uh -huh. it's uh, just a quick quick little thing about uh, uh, the, it's, the title here is Possible Steps Towards the World Rule of Law. It says, it is quite likely, however, that the decision-makers of Century 21 will have to continue to concentrate their efforts on the problems of peace and security and the replacement of the rule of force with the rule of law. It says, uh, the main ingredients of an effective world order are well known today. But just to bring it down, just a couple paragraphs, it says, there can be no rule of law as long as some major powers are absent from the main institutions of the world community. Membership in the United Nations should not be considered a privilege a reward to a well-behaving nation, but an obligation to be imposed on every country, whether it likes it or not. Like, I thought yep. that was pretty wild. Yeah, that, that, well, that's how it is. Uh, there's nothing democratic about the United Nations or the way it implements its agenda. It's an authoritarian structure, yeah. But it's, that's so apparent, it's lack of democracy. It's like, you know, just whatever. Yes. It's, just, it's like a forceful thing. Yeah, every country true. should shed its sovereignty type idea. I don't know. To me, that's, this was written in 1970. <clears throat> Yeah, and there's many, many more like that. I have books from the 1920s from the League of Nations giving the same kind of talks out. Talks about uh, the same, same agenda. Ideas, right? mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, you know how it is. Like these books, there's so much in these things. Like, you know, you it may be like one paragraph out of like five pages. That's, you yeah. know, but it's uh, it's mm -hmm. interesting, man. Yeah, if I could just do one more, because uh, this is just the next paragraph down, and it and it, uh, it alludes to a book by uh, Herman Kahn called Thinking the Unthinkable, <clears throat> and yeah. that, uh, it says a limited, a limited nuclear exchange that would frighten the leaders of the world into accepting world government on the spot in order to avoid further destruction. If this should happen, we would be wise to have a good plan ready, and we should start working on it before it is too late. <laughs> you know? Exactly, and that's what they used, the whole Cold War and the threat of, of nuking uh, mutually assured destruction. It terrified a whole generation that this was going to happen, so we give up all our rights. That's exactly. Right. We're in the next step with uh, it being replaced by the idea of uh, terrorism. Mm -hmm. You know. Yes. And the same thing's happening with us, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah the books are all out there, and they're very dry and boring. But you get that occasional gem of a paragraph, and, and it suddenly wakes you up. And that's how they do it. They tuck it in amongst very boring material. Yeah. It's amazing. Anyways, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for calling. Hello, Gus. Gus from New York. Hello, Alan. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, I can hear you. pleasure talking to you, Alan. I uh, admire you. You're so much smarter than me. Everything's come hard from music. 
you name it. But I will say I was in the Army in 1969, went to the local library, wanted to find out about the rich people. But it was a naive thing, uh, Alan. I thought I'd see how they did it, and maybe I could follow suit. Yeah. And the book I checked out was called The Rich and the Super Rich by Ferdinand Lundberg. Mm -hmm. I think you're familiar with that? Yeah. And uh, it opened my eyes quite a bit. And I had problems in the Army. Um, to make a long story short, I do draw compensation now and... Uh, I've listened to about 30 of your shows in the last six weeks. I went to your website, too. I listen on RBM. Yeah. And um, my question to you, Alan, I have about a nine-month supply of the four Bs. I do have a Bible, King James Version. I have ammo. I, because I'm a disabled vet, Alan, with a nervous condition, it's hard to get the firearms, but I got my hands on a couple of 22s. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have about a nine-month supply of canned goods, food, and I have, um, I was wondering, this is going to be prolonged, uh, they say it's a hundred-year war, maybe another 30 years, having trouble getting supplies or whatever. How long of supplies should I have on hand, Alan? I, I'm on limited income, and to get to nine months of everything uh, took a great effort. Yeah. Well, the thing is, too, to go into bulk stores and buy things like beans and so on, get five-gallon pails, and you can seal them. Yeah. And you can seal them with, with actual types of glue that will last for years. Yeah. Uh, things like beans and stuff, anything you can make soups up with and buy in bulk, it's very, mm -hmm. very cheap, and uh, it'll keep you through. And you can, you can store up uh, a lot of stuff for, for quite a few years that way. Yeah. A little buy and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's hard for me to get so out. I'm totally disabled now. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I think I know what you mean, and I do have a helper that helps yes. me at the grocery store get the items, yeah. and I buy them on sale. Try to mm -hmm. buy it. And if you, if you go into the, if you go into places like pizza shops and so on, they, they generally have the five-gallon pail buckets with the very airtight, good airtight lids, and yeah. uh, you get them free. Uh, if you tell them you're to collect them for you, and you just start filling those guys up. And, and uh, putting that lid on there. And okay. How long do you think I should be able to go on my own? I have about a nine-month supply. Nine months isn't bad at all because uh, a lot happens in nine months. And <clears throat> even for those who can move, get on the move then, okay. um, you don't want too and much. And on the gold and silver, I have, Pardon? I should say, I have about, $9,000 in bullion coins, Yeah. 90% silver, and American eagles. Mm -hmm. And uh, I understand 
there may come a time when I'll need it to pay my utilities and get some groceries. And uh, how how much should I have on hand? It's, it's so difficult to say. I mean, I, I always think back to FDR when he came in. The bankers, of course, put him in after they caused the world depression. He was Illuminati, wasn't he? Yes, and he and he also um, got the law for everyone to turn in their gold to yes, the government. Yes, I know that. And it's also, see, when that happens and they prohibit you from exchanging that gold or anyone that you offer it to has to report you, then you have to know who you're dealing with. There has to be people you can trust. Because they'll do the same thing again. You think they'll confiscate gold? It's very probable because these guys don't want anyone to escape outside the system. Yes, I and understand so this, to... but aren't there other ways for them to get a lot more gold and go on to small... Oh, they don't need it. They don't need the gold. They just don't want you to have, to have any other ah, means of exchange. I see. Yeah. yeah. I see. Yeah, I wasn't... They want, they want you with a ration card going to them. Yeah. But anyway, the music is coming out now. And uh, but thanks for calling there, Gus. Thank you very much, Alan. Keep up the good work. Talk to you again. Back after these messages. Amongst each other, 
that doesn't really matter because they're not in on the great plan. But the guys at the top are handpicked. That's left or right makes no difference. They're handpicked. They both work for the same agenda. And my whole life long, I've never seen this agenda falter because someone was voted into an office and it did something he wasn't supposed to do. We're right on schedule. You notice that Mr. Bush and the two prime ministers, Canada and Mexico, signed another part of their integration deal yesterday at the Air Summit, or Earth Day it was called, and they planted a tree just to start off another new grove, I guess. They love groves. And they have two more to go to 2010, and then the U.S., Canada, and Mexico are fully economically, militarily, and governmental-wise completely integrated by 2010. And they're using this crisis they're bringing upon the world, this financial crisis and the food crisis and all the other crises, because this is the age of crisis creation. They're using all of that to convince the public that this is the only way we can come through it is becoming under a system identical to the European Union. They make the future happen by creating the circumstances. Not hard to do when the boys and the cartels who own your food supply of the planet belong to your little club. Not hard to do when the guys who literally own the water supply of your planet belong to their little club. Not hard to do when the guys who own the military industrial complex and all the troops who work for them in your little club. Quite simple, really, isn't it? Quite simple. Well, I'll be This is for a uh, goodbye for tonight from Hamish and myself and Ontario, Canada, where the sun is now shining. And it's good night to me, your God or your gods go with you.